Welcome back to Africa Science Focus, the weekly science and development show from SciDevNet. I am Ogechi Ekeanyo. We're back for our Science Explained series, and this week we're exploring the issue of malaria. Malaria, a disease transmitted by mosquitoes, continues to pose a significant threat in sub-Saharan Africa and particularly affects children. According to the World Health Organization 2022 World Malaria Report, there were 247 million cases of malaria in 2021 compared to 245 million cases in 2020. The estimated number of malaria deaths stood at 619,000 in 2021 compared to 625,000 in 2020. Now, Sub-Saharan Africa continues to bear the bulk of the global malaria burden. In 2021, the region was home to about 95% of all malaria cases and 96% of deaths. And children under 5 years of age accounted for about 80% of these malaria deaths. Our reporter, Ogechie Kianyao, spoke to Michael Charles, the Chief Executive Officer of the RBM Partnership to End Malaria. There, there are quite a various number of challenges facing the fight against malaria. If we go back a few decades, two decades ago, we see that the world came together um, and made a commitment, a commitment that no child, um, no pregnant woman, and no person vulnerable shall die of malaria by 2030. Um, we made quite significant progress up until about 2015, 2016. Um, but since then, things have stagnated, and we, we are at a crossroad now where we say we have the perfect storm. Perfect storm for quite a number of reasons. Number one, we are seeing more and more um, resistance um, from the mosquitoes, so resistance to medication, resistance to the commodities, to IRS, to the bed nets. That's number one. The second thing is the interlinkage and inter intersection with climate change. Um, obviously, with climates, there comes more rain in some instances, and with more rain, that's more breeding ground for the mosquitoes. So the cases go up significantly. We've demonstrated that in Mozambique with the recent floods and also in Pakistan as well. So climates um, and malaria is really something that is closely linked and we're trying to um, highlight more and more. The third thing is the finances. The finances are not there anymore um, as they were before. So currently we have a gap of about 3.6 billion um, US dollars annually in terms of the fight for against malaria, and that's quite significant. Lastly, um, but not the least, is obviously the issues around conflict, and we're seeing that more in the sub-region on the continent in Africa, where you know there's conflict, and with conflict, obviously people are not able to sleep under their bed nets, they're not able to get the medication that they need, the infrastructure, the health infrastructure is destroyed, so that again drives malaria up. So although significant progress has been made, um, we're not in a good space at the moment. When you talk about these challenges, what are the most promising strategies for addressing the growing threat of insecticide and drug resistance? Well, the, 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 the next steps are twofold. Number one, we need to look into the research and development, um, which is how do we get ahead um, of the mosquito in terms of um, just developing new products. And there are quite a few products in the pipeline, in, including um, Active AI um, Dual Nets, um, which has a combination of products um, to, to combat the, the mosquito. 
Um, we have other things around um, gene modification of the mosquitoes. We have what we call attractive targeted um, sugar baits, um, which attract the mosquito and it has insecticides in it to kill the mosquito. So on the research side, I think a lot is happening. Um, then there's the human side and the community level side. Um, because at the end of the day, the way mosquitoes get their resistance and they evolve is, for example, where we uh, have malaria. Um, instead of taking three doses of the usual medication, we just take one um, and we don't complete it. Um, this really you know, causes resistance. If we're using adulterated drugs, or medication that are not, you know, pure and potent enough, this again causes resistance. So I think we need to look at issues of, of resistance from multiple aspects um, and really come together as a community, come together as the globe in terms of really driving driving this agenda or trying as much as possible to to come together and, and reduce the, the burden of, of malaria on, on the continent. I'll, I'll give you just a few figures. You know... 95% of the burden of malaria globally is on the African continent. 96% um, of the deaths is on the African continent. 80% of those deaths are children below the age of five. So, so this, this just shows how we on the African continent really need to take ownership and we really need to take the drive in terms of ending malaria. And we're asking for political engagement. We're asking for community community engagement in terms of just sensitizing the population in terms of what needs to be done. We know the solutions. We know that bed net works. We know that in indoor residual spraying works. We know that we have new vaccines. But we just need to combine all those things uh, to ensure that um, we're really driving down the burden of malaria. That's on the one hand. The second thing that I want to say is that fighting malaria is not just from a health perspective alone. You know, for us to really defeat malaria, it's a multi-sectoral approach. So we need to get the people on roads and housing there. We need to get the people of infrastructure, urban planning. Everybody really needs to come together because if we see the gutters that we have, that's a perfect breeding ground for mosquitoes. If we have the rainy season and we don't have good drainage for the waters, you know, to be drained away and they're just stagnating there, that's a perfect breeding ground for mosquitoes. So I think the, 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 the main point is that driving down the burden is everybody's responsibility. It is me, it is you, it is the government, it is the private sector, it is every single bird, but if we're going to win this fight. The funding shortfall, how can we address it? I mean, the funding shortfall um, is a big problem. It's a big problem globally. Um, but I will also say that a lot of the funding for malaria, um, unfortunately, has come from outside the continent, the African continent. That is not sustainable um, because we know that even on the outside in the West, um, they're also facing some of their challenges. And um, we know with the global issues, what's happening and a lot of funding has been diverted um, to, to more pertinent um, topics. Um, not to say that malaria is not pertinent, but I think what we are calling for is for some of the African governments um, to come together to really prioritize um, the funding we're giving to hotel and to make sure that at the end of the day, we're able to contribute our own quota. Um, a few years ago, there was what we call the Abuja Declaration, um, which was basically um, each government will allocate 15% 
of its um, GDP towards health. Um, I believe no country has met that. Um, that was in the early 2000s, um, which means that 15% of, of the annual budget should be spent on health. Um, that, that's, that's still not happening. Um, so so I, I think we, 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 we need to come together um, as leaders um, to see what else can be done. Um, obviously, we understand that the public sector cannot do it alone. You know, it has to be public-private partnership. We have to bring philanthropists in. And as the RBM partnership um, to end malaria, we, together with ALMA, which is the African Leaders Malaria Alliance, we've come together to say, okay, how can we help countries, help countries in many ways in terms of advocating at the global stage with the likes of World Bank, um, in terms of having a, a malaria fund, advocating um, with our communities and with the heads of state. And at the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, we came together um, with some presidents to really advocate in terms of what needs to be done. We've also been having sessions with the ministers of finance of various countries, together with the ministers of health, just to see how we can do innovative financing. And then finally, we've been setting up what we call the End Malaria Councils in a few countries. Um, and we've set it up in eight countries so far. And we've been able to raise $44 million again in the fight and in the support towards um, ending malaria. So I think that there, 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 there's a shortfall, um, but there's also the onus on us as leaders, as community members, as the private sector to come together. If we look at some of the statistics, we will see that annually, in terms of loss of productivity, we're losing about 12 billion US dollars. That's significant. If we look down in the communities and we look at a family, a family has to decide whether to send their children to the hospital and it's going to cost money or whether to use that money to put food on the table. That is unacceptable in the, 23rd, in the 21st century. So we need to consistently challenge ourselves. We need to interrogate ourselves. Uh, we need to say enough is enough. How do we come together? And how do we put more emphasis in ending malaria? The battle against malaria is further complicated by the influence of climate change in the last two decades. Climatic shifts have intensified the prevalence of malaria in the region, creating an even more challenging situation. In response to the glowing malaria emergency in the region, African Union heads convened a meeting with the global health leaders and development experts in September 2023 to address this critical issue. We go back to Michael. I mean, clim climate change is affecting many things, including health generally. And what we've seen, and I saw it on, on the news yesterday, that even in September, this September this year was the warmest September ever. So, you know, the world is warming up. Um, that's number one. And with warmth, you know, there comes mosquito. It's, a, it's an easy breeding ground. And um, for the first time, we've actually seen mosquito or malaria in other places that we hadn't seen before, like in the U.S., um, where we've actually seen malaria cases um, that originated from the state. Um, so that's attributed to global, to global warming and to climate change. The second thing that we're seeing in terms of climate change is that We've seen a lot of cyclones, a lot of um, rains, a lot of flooding. And as I said, with floods comes um, water, stagnant water, breeding ground for mosquito, malaria goes up. 
We saw it in Mozambique. Um, we've seen it in Madagascar, where it was hit with three cyclones in just a space of two months. Um, we've seen it in Pakistan as well with the huge floods. Um, that hadn't happened in before. And we've seen that, you know, consistently with climate change, things go up. So that's, that's when you have too much water. When you have too little water, you have drought, you have malnutrition, you have children that are more susceptible to um, health issues because they're just malnourished, they're, they're, not, they're not healthy. So, so there, there, there's really um, the interlinkage and the intersection between climate and, and health and climate and malaria. And as the malaria community, as the health community, we are going to COP28 in Dubai and we're really going to demonstrate um, this linkage. And we're hoping and really hoping that, you know, the world will come together to really see that linkage and allocate um, more resources towards the fight against malaria. But there's some progress around vaccination. In October 2023, the World Health Organization recommended a new malaria vaccine, R21, to prevent child deaths from malaria. This is in addition to the earlier approved RTSS vaccine, which received a World Health Organization recommendation in 2021. What's more, the R21 vaccine is cheap and can be produced at scale. Our reporter, Ogechie Kenya, will spoke with Michael Charles to gain insight into the significance of vaccination in the fight against malaria. Obviously, with the recommendation from WHO in terms of the R21, this is groundbreaking and this is music to our ears, and we definitely welcome it with open arms. Late last year as well, um, obviously, our WHO made a recommendation um, based on the RTSS, um, and we've seen how significant that has been in terms of averting malaria cases. Um, the RTSS, um, we have been able to vaccinate 1.2 million children in three countries, namely Ghana, Kenya, and Malawi. Um, however, that was not enough. Um, the RTSS, um, there was 18 million doses that was, that was up in the markets to support 12 countries. Now with the coming up of a new vaccine, the R21, we are seeing that the efficacy is, is about the same, which is, which is good news. Um, if you use um, for three doses, in, in, in areas where there is seasonal malaria, we've seen a reduction um, of symptomatic malaria cases by 75%. This is all fantastic news and good news. The use of the vaccine is for children under the age of five. So it doesn't cover the whole population. And we're saying that the vaccines are welcome, the vaccines are good, but they cannot be seen as a silver bullet. They need to be used in combination with other commodities like the long-lasting insecticide-treated nets, like IRS, like the seasonal malaria chemoprophylaxis. Um, they, they really need to use in the combination for it to have the maximum effect. So we welcome it, um, but at the same time, we, we shouldn't forget the other, other commodities that we've been using and that we've been proven that has worked um, in recent times and will continue to, you know, to promote that within our various countries. Obviously, rolling out the vaccines is something that we all hope that countries will embrace. Um, but just because the vaccines are available doesn't necessarily translate into the vaccine getting into the children's arms. And um, so as the RBM partnership, again, we continue to work with our countries to discuss with them what are the opportunities, what are the challenges, and how can we support some of that brainstorming 
to ensure that when these vaccines get into the country, um, they're really used um, at the speed that it requires, um, and they're really used optimally in terms of saving lives. So for the malaria community, we're quite hopeful, hopeful that the future is bright, hopeful because new commodities are coming on board, hopeful because, you know, with, with, the, with the constant drive that we have, with the research and, and development, with the partnerships that we're trying to create, with the commitment from the from the our world leaders, we're really hopeful that we will move towards eliminating and eradicating malaria. Is it going to be easier? Certainly not. Um, but we need everybody, everybody to be on board and um, for us to be successful. Vaccination is a vital tool in the fight against malaria. Our reporter Titi Lokpai Fadere spoke to Chika for the Chief Executive Officer of Vaccine Network for Disease Control in Nigeria, about what this vaccine means. Okay, so vaccination in itself is a, is a preventive strategy. I mean, every day I'm an advocate for vaccination so that you don't need to get the disease, rather you prevent the disease. Another thing, again, is that malaria is one of the highest killers of people, especially children in, in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa. And this malaria vaccine is a winner for me. Because what it does is that the mortality rate for malaria will drop. And then for it to be approved by WHO, a lot of investigation, rigorous investigation, has gone into this uh, uh, vaccine, malaria vaccine. And then bringing it now for people to utilize this vaccine, there are different types of the vaccine, you know, it means that it is working. You know, the world is becoming a better place, and I'm thank God for that. So the malaria vaccine is a preventive strategy. For Nigeria, we don't have it yet, but we are believing that by next year, we'll have the, the vaccine. Can you imagine malaria having that kind of solution? What are the key features in this particular vaccine? The key features of the uh, malaria vaccine, it, it has not really been too clear about the features because if we... The only thing we know about the vaccine is that even after you have taken the malaria vaccine, you still have to do all the necessary things. For instance, still have the nets, you know, still protect yourself. So it's not a be-all and end-all vaccine where you say, because I've taken the malaria vaccine, I can go and sit down where mosquitoes are and let all the mosquitoes bite in. No. What it does is that it reduces the mortality rates. And that's the key part of it. Even after taking the malaria vaccine, you still have to have other protective approaches. For instance, you still have to use uh, mosquito nets. You still have to check yourself if you're ill and everything. But the thing we know for sure is that it reduces mortality. How easy do you think the vaccines will be adopted in Nigeria and other sub-Saharan countries, considering the fact that, aside from malaria, there are other vaccines that have been introduced? Malaria is uh, one of the highest killers. But Africans don't think the malaria is a strong disease. That's the truth. So people won't take the vaccine because they won't see it as a serious vaccine. They may take COVID-19 vaccine. They may take rota vaccine. They may even take the HPV vaccine. But even if it's malaria, she come and take vaccine for malaria. What is malaria? Because every Nigerian, every African that's in sub-Saharan has had mal malaria or the other. And they don't believe in the fatality of it. Meanwhile, it's fatal. So, so it's a mindset thing. It's for us to start to create awareness on the numbers, on the number of people who have died from malaria. 
as against, for instance, number of people who have died from uh, maybe COVID-19, or as against the number of people who have died from um, diarrhea, where, which is where the rotavirus vaccine is coming in. In addition to what you've already highlighted, what other challenges do you see in the rollout of this particular vaccine? Like I said, it's the mindset. So we have to prepare for it. We have to use data as a guiding point. There's one video I, I, I watched recently where some of the Nigerian movie stars came together and showcased a, a, an aircraft filled with 200 and something people crashing. With 200 and something pregnant women crashing. And what they said invariably was that every day 220 women die from maternal maternal issues. So for every time you don't take care of the mortality, the mortality, mortality of women, every time, every day, just imagine a bus load of women, 220 every day. So we have to have those kind of stark, data-driven um, innovations, communications, you know, so that people will know the value. But even as you're talking about this mortality, malaria kills more. So we have to have, you know, videos, reels, using media to showcase exactly the fatality of malaria. You know, bring everybody on board, advocates, media, government, everybody must come with different kinds of approaches to be able to sell the message so that it's clear in people's minds about the value of that malaria vaccine. It's very, very important. Still on the rollouts of the vaccine with respect to how to reach areas in Africa, what do you suggest can be done to ensure the vaccines get to residents in these areas? Yes, well, how to reach areas. And that's what they are, they are hard to reach. But then again, we have community-based organizations that are in those places. We have community structures in those places. We have traditional rulers, we have women leaders, we have women, we have uh, primary healthcare centers, we have uh, traditional better attendants. We have all of those people that are within those communities that people will build their capacity, create awareness, and then use these structures to send the message. Nigeria has all those structures in place. Then in my village, in my place, you have the Umuadas. We have all those community structures in every locality that you can utilize. So the first thing is you have to build the capacity of those people, use simplified messaging, and make sure that the message, the messenger, and then the channel that you are using gives the desired result. What I mean is the message must be right. Like say in a Hausa community, it must be a Hausa message. The messenger must be people that they trust within the community. The people that they trust is near there. They trust their family members, they trust their traditional rulers, and then the channels that they are using within those communities, maybe in their village meetings, maybe on their local radio stations and all that. All those things must be put. So you don't put a wrong messenger. You don't come and put maybe an evil chief to come and give message in a, in, in a house or locality. So all these things have to be done, crafted, synchronized in such a way so that for impact. In relation to electricity challenges, how do you advise the vaccines be preserved due to poor electricity supply? The vaccines are going to be in the community PHCs. Many of those PHCs have solar. Many of those, even in the hard to reach places, they have solar. Because this uh, uh, electricity you're talking about is everywhere. Just in case you're thinking it's only the hard to reach places. As I left my house, was it not yesterday? There was no light. And then with the cost of diesel and so many other things that are plaguing us right now, 
the government has to look for ingenious ways of making sure that these vaccines go through the the, the cold chain is, is stable for these um, these vaccines. Because in those who have to replace, there are health centers. There's no way in this Nigeria that you don't have um, health centers. You have even the basic healthcare provision fund, one health center per ward. Apart from that ward, you have other health centers. So the, the government has to be ingenious to make sure that at least you have solar, you have generator, you have all those things to make sure that the cold system is preserved. What are the biggest challenges about malaria in Nigeria and in sub-Saharan Africa? The first thing for malaria, there's a vaccine for it. The most important thing is for the government to purchase the vaccine. The malaria vaccine is that it must be budgeted for. It must be in the Nigerian budget. And then when it is in the budget, the money must be released. Because it's one thing to budget. It's another thing for that money to be released. And then when it is released, the money will be utilized. How does this vaccine fit into the broader strategies for malaria control and elimination? First and foremost, this vaccine, I believe, will be put into the routine immunization program. What it means that it becomes routine for you to go and take the vaccine. It has not been put yet, but I'm believing that by next year, we will finally get the vaccine. I'm hopeful that we'll get it by next year. That is put into the routine program. Once it gets into the routine program, it's routine. So that makes it um, um, easy. But the other malaria control programs must still continue. It must still continue. You must still have mosquito-treated nets. You must still clean all the gutters during the rainy season and all those other seasons. You must still test people to find out whether they have malaria. And then, uh, and then also give whatever it is, the malaria prophylaxis and different kinds of things they have to do. So this malaria vaccine is in conjunction with those other practices. It's not in silo. It's when all these things are put together, then you have a malaria-free world. Michael also spoke to us about this vaccination and what it means for malaria elimination. Obviously, every country is unique and every country has its own challenges. And as the RBM partnership, working with the country national malaria control program managers, um, we're, we're, we're working with them to highlight and identify some of these challenges and have a tailor-made solution. You know, my experience has shown that obviously for any vaccine, whether it's COVID, whether it is, you know, the EPI extended program on immunization or whether it is malaria, sensitization is key. You know, getting the families together to go to the health facilities. We also understand that the challenges of our countries that sometimes the health facilities are miles away and the mother or father has to decide, do I go to the farm or do I walk? three, four hours to get to the health facility. What we're trying to do at the moment is again, you know, really work with the ministries of health, really plan these um, vaccination exercises as well, and really have mobile units really going down to the community level to meet the children in their homes, to meet the children, you know, in, 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 in school, and really make sure that, you know, we're having a combination of both. So as I said, you know, there's no one size fits all. We need to see what works, um, what is doable, what funding is available, and how do we maybe integrate the malaria vaccines into existing EPI programs, expanded program on immunization, so that when a mother takes a child to the facility, she doesn't go this week to go and collect the measles vaccine and then has to go next week to go and collect the malaria vaccine. We're trying to see how we combine 
um, those visits so that it's a one-stop shop and you know the child can be vaccinated um, as, as, as when due. So I think that, that there's a lot of logistics, there's a lot of planning, um, and that's why I'm saying really we need to do this as a collective. We need to support our communities, we need to support our local governments, we need to support the central government, and we need to support the global community. I think the time and the history will say that really we're at the crossroads and we have an opportunity to get it right. If we do get it right, we'll be on the right side of history. If we do not get it right, unfortunately, we will be on the other side of history and we will be judged for it. So my plea to everybody is we can eliminate malaria. We can eradicate malaria. It's not an easy fight, but it's a fight that we can definitely win if we come together. That's all from us at Science Explained today. If you want to find out more, head to the SciDevNet website. That's www.scidev.net. Today's show was produced by Alice Hurst with hosting by Ogechi Ekeanyawa and editing by Ogechi Ekeanyawa and Titilakwe Fadari. Today's reporters were Ogechi Ekeanyawa and Titilakwe Fadari. Until next time, goodbye. Africa Science Focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio stations.